What's up, Jabronis? Welcome back to Two on Five. We are here with all of your top five list needs and some top fives that you don't need, but we got them anyways. We are very excited today to get into our top five favorite things about the Star Wars franchise. And Brett, what else do we have today? We have another friend here. <sighs> That's right. It's a guest. So it's three on five, but we're not changing the name. Who could it be? It's Sean. Say hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. How's it going? Glad to have you with us, buddy. Uh, we understand that you are a bit of a Star Wars fanatic. Uh, I am for as long as I can remember. Um, and I seriously appreciate the invite. Uh, long time listener, first time guest. So appreciate it. As a longtime listener, you mean like last month, right? Oh, like like all four episodes. Like I, I'm I'm in there. I'm in there. <laughs> we appreciate it. You're a number one fan, buddy. <laughs> so we decided that we wanted to do a Star Wars episode because the last of the Skywalker saga comes out next week. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, following up the, I guess it was divisive Last Jedi. I really liked it. And we're we're excited, so we're doing a top five list today. That's just our five favorite things about Star Wars, and we'll start that off with my number five. And for me, it's actually a video game series of uh, Rogue Squadron. Uh, these are games that started off on the Nintendo sixty four, and then they made a couple more on the GameCube. You got to be in Rogue Squadron, so you got to fly X wings and just basically do any mission that looked cool from the movies you got to basically do them and it was a lot of fun and then there were also other things where like you could unlock Darth Vader and fly around in his TIE fighter and do missions like that and uh, they did a great job of just capturing Star Wars and it was a lot of fun uh, do either of you guys ever try those out or I yeah absolutely go ahead Floyd well no I was just going to say yeah I mean though I thought those video games were a whole lot of fun um, sort of a uh, more or less an open open space, you know, as opposed to like an open world. You know, the the one thing that turned me off was that you couldn't ram your spaceship into a star destroyer and blow it up, like in the movies. That was the one thing that I was like, man, I want to go out with a bang, and they wouldn't let me. No, you, yeah, you, you'd either just die, or they, or like it would show up that like it wasn't even a thing you could actually go into, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I feel like it captured the kind of dogfighting essence of a flight simulator, but also tying it to the Star Wars franchise kind of lets you relive that moment you had as a kid when you watched uh, Episode Four and like the Death Star sequence and how exciting that was, and you imagine being, you know, in the cockpit of an X-wing. Um, I feel like they really captured that really well, and it was a a fun franchise to play. Mm -hmm. All right, so, Sean, what was your number five? So, my number five, um, probably on quite a few folks' lists, uh, I picked The Force. So, one of my all-time favorite behind-the-scenes stories from Star Wars um, was when George Lucas had to explain to Alec Guinness over and over and over again the concept of The Force. Um, so Alec, Alec Guinness, for, for folks who don't know, he was the, the older actor who played the original Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
right? Um, a pivotal character in the, the original uh, Star Wars trilogy. And he's the one who introduced Luke Skywalker to the concept of the Force. And of course, by extension, all of us as well. So to, uh, to think of the fact that, you know, the director has to explain, okay, Alec, once more, uh, the Force is an energy field that surrounds and connects all living things. And some of us possess the power to control that. And just over and over ad nauseum, that's very entertaining to me. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And like when you when you hear about like behind the scenes and stuff about how like Alcanus just did not care. Oh no, like a lot of it. But he secured the bag, guys. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Holy crap! Because like he didn't get paid very much, but he got like two and a half percent of the gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or whatever. So yeah, he secured the bag. He might not know what the force is, but he knew what the force <laughs> was. <laughs> right, right. No, but yeah. The, so like, so like the force. Uh, obviously, Star Wars is not the first sci-fi movie um, in cinema, and it was far from the last. But and it's also not the one who features this like this, like superpower, basically. But you know, when you watch the Avengers today, like all of those superpowers, those those are like weapons of mass destruction. The Force is just this thing that some people possess and some people do not, and it's sort of like in the backdrop. It just like adds this uh, I, I don't know sense of spirituality to George Lucas's um, mythology, and it's 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 one of those things that you know because you know we had the original trilogy and then we had the prequels and now we've got you know the sequels and everything it's they've only been able to expand on this sense of you know some people like possess this power but it's something that has to be trained and it's something you know that has to be owned and and i, I, I just i've always loved that well one of the things that's cool about it is that it's it's limitless right the the way they've been able to build upon it when we were first exposed to it, it was simple telekinesis and some simple mind mm. control. And then as you meet more and more characters that have different masterings of the force, uh, you see a lot of the different things that they can do with it. And so I feel like it lends to the creativity uh, of the characters and, you know, different styles for each Jedi or Sith. And I, I really like the... Uh, Sorry to jump on you, but right before we move on, like I do like that it introduced that duality that is so yes, big in yeah. Star Wars. You know, like immediately, like you know, like the dark side, light side. It's it's very clear, and it just really feeds in a lot of the themes that they already wanted to go with. And I think that's a cool way of doing it by like using the superpower and like there's different ways that people can access yeah. it. So, sure. My number five is speaking to the the size of this universe. Uh, one of the things that's always been special for me is the different types of alien species that are uh, shown throughout the franchise. You know, you, you have your typical humans and humanoid type characters, but then you get sweet stuff like Wookiees and, you know, Jawas <laughs> and Ewoks and like all these different little tribes and species of uh, beings that have their own styles, have their own looks, you know, they were able to go as, mm -hmm. as crazy as they wanted to with the way some of these looked, you know, like there's one that has a butt for a face <laughs> and like, I, I don't even know what species it is, but it's hilarious to me. Oh, it's the, it's the Ben Afflecks. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I've seen, uh, I've seen people like that too, though. So sure. <laughs> you know, and like even, 
when you look through an empire, when they line up all the bounty hunters and you see each different species of bounty hunter, uh, you know, we don't learn until years later what a Mandalorian looks like. You know, we just see the armor and we don't know what's underneath that helmet uh, because right next to him is this lizard-like Trandoshan <laughs> named Bosk. And, and so, like, you don't know what else is out there. And I think that's really special. Um, one thing I do, I like, I like about the Star Wars aliens versus, like, aliens and something like, I'm in, like, Star Trek, which, I mean, I'm fine with Star Trek, but, like, everybody in Star Trek is basically, you know, humans that are green or they yeah. have something on their forehead. Whereas, like, in Star Wars, like, this is an alien that's so big it could swallow the Millennium Falcon and it lives in an asteroid. <laughs> you know, like, I just feel like there's a lot more of that kind of crap. Or, like, even in the first movie, like, when they're in the garbage chute, there's, like, a garbage alien that's just, don't mess with him. And it's just... Right. Uh, I, I think it displays a level <laughs> of imagination that's just really high, and I, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, who's, who's going to forget the cantina scene the first time they saw that? That's incredible. Moving on to my number four, uh, this is a specific scene from Empire Strikes Back, and it has always hit for me just because of the introduction of different equipment and also just it was such a fun sequence to watch, but it's the Battle of Hoth. Uh, you know, opening sequences of Empire Strikes Back, they're on a Arctic planet, and the rebel base is being stormed by Empire forces. We get introduced to the AT-AT and the AT-ST walkers, which as a kid were the coolest fucking things I'd ever seen. Um, I, I wanted one so bad. I wanted to ride to school in it. And, you know, watching the creativity of the rebels try and take that equipment down when they finally end up using the tow cables to to trip it up. Um it was a fun, intense scene. You didn't know if the Rebels were going to make it out alive. And it was <clears throat> just really intense. Like, I, I felt like it built on the climax of Episode 4 with all the things you saw with the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters, you know, in that closing scene uh, to then start off the next movie with a, a similar dogfight and also ground battle was just a lot of fun to watch. And... Also, watching the Rebels kind of get mowed over was enjoyable for me. So, I, I've i always been Team Empire. And so, that, that's... You can't be Team Empire. That's not... What? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm sorry. And it's mostly an, an anti-Luke Skywalker stance. I... So, that's I a whole it. other episode. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I get it. I, I grew up with um the the Tie Fighter simulator game. Oh yeah. So I mean, like, how can how can you not get behind the Empire after playing something like that? That was glorious. Oh man. <laughs> okay. okay, we're losing we're losing right, the path. Yeah. We're talking about Hoth. <laughs> we're talking about Hoth, guys. You and your you and your terrible takes on the dark side and how great it is. We'll have to wait. We're talking about Hoth and how like. The thing I really liked about Hoth was just it in in an instant it kind of expanded what Star Wars could be. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they, this this is taking place on a crappy ice world 
and oh those are different kinds of stormtroopers never seen them and like you said that like it was the you know the yeah um the new speeders and all that like it was just it was neat well and it it, it set the tone for that for that whole movie like there are there are a lot of people who to this day i mean empire strikes back that that is the star wars movie and that set the tone um you know drake you mentioned uh are, are the rebels gonna make it or are they just gonna get trampled you know we don't know and then and then after hoth you know what we what we find is you know the millennium falcon who is incapable of hyperspeed right it's being chased the entire time and finally flees to the cloud the cloud city and then of course you've got the uh the the scene with luke skywalker versus darth vader which is this that i mean it's that's an integral integral scene in the in the entire franchise i mean that it so that first scene with that that amount of intensity and brutality just right there right at the forefront i mean that that set the tone for what the whole movie was which i mean like i said still in a lot of fans minds that that is the star wars movie agreed Mm -hmm. sean what you got for number four oh man man get ready for this so kind of in step with my number five, which was the force, uh, lightsabers. Oh my God, I love lightsabers. I love everything about lightsabers. Um, the fact that you can get your own custom made lightsabers at, at you know, the Disney World now, that's rad. So um, my kid has four lightsabers for the record, not the expensive ones. I want to go on the record, <laughs> we're not spoiling or anything like that. But but no, like I said, lightsabers they go hand in hand with the with the force, no pun intended. Um, because if you can if you can wield the force, you can wield the lightsaber. Um, so the force granted you this ability to affect your surroundings to such an extent that you could actually use this like labor laser sword to deflect other lasers and even like kill people with that ability. It's nuts. It, it's such a novel and interesting element to this story. And uh, you know, for as long as I can remember, every every paper towel that I've ever held in my hand or umbrella mm-hmm. that's been a lightsaber. Yes, absolutely. Like, and I know I'm not alone here. And it doesn't matter if I'm five years old or thirty-five years old. I'm pretending this thing in my hand is a lightsaber still to this day. So I mean, if you if you were a kid that was born after you know Star Wars came out, then at some point in your life you have used something in your house as a lightsaber. And uh, and your mom has hated it. Yes, and and you have probably broken something with it. But I mean, it's lightsabers are probably one of the most fun things that that we as fans have been able to hold in our hand since the movie has come out. And I just, I just, I love it. Oh, they're just iconic. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, they're iconic. I mean, like. I feel like, you know, the, the sound of a lightsaber igniting, yep. like that just instantly transports you. You're, you're there. And I, I want to go on record as saying, I, I want mine to be purple. I get it. It's important. I get it, Mace. I get it. Yeah. And if you, if you think, um, if you think I'm not walking back to my car from my office with an umbrella in my hand and not making that sound, you don't know me very well. <laughs> Uh, lightsabers are going to show up a little bit more, um, a couple more times actually, because they're they're iconic and they're just, especially when you're a little kid. There's nothing that's going to draw you in more than some type of dope sword, you no know, way. like no and way. This, and this one's made out of lasers and it can cut everything. And um, as as a side, just you guys remember the first time that you saw Maul's double bladed lightsaber? Oh man, 
Like that changed the game. Dude. Absolutely changed the game. I was I was I was a teenager that was already having a hard time hiding boners. <laughs> and then and then this happened. There's no hiding that. Darth Maul Darth Maul, yeah, in the movie theaters, man, it took forever to just subside. <laughs> Just rad. Just I'm, rad. I'm so happy you're here, Floyd. <laughs> happy to be here, Greg. Thanks. So, uh, all right. Wow. So my number four is... Uh, Speaking of boners. Well, anyway, it's... <laughs> um, one of my favorite things about the original trilogy is the amount of times that Luke Skywalker makes out with his sister because it is more than once and it is hilarious. Every, like... Once you know that Leia is his sister, it is so funny. Like, you're like, what the fuck? Yes. And it just, I, I beyond the humor of it, it also makes me appreciate the fact that, like, no matter what George Lucas says, it wasn't all completely planned out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying he didn't have, like, the, the basic, like, broad strokes of it or whatever. But, right. dude, no. Like, you did not plan for a little, you know, light incest <laughs> just to be happening in these kids movies like no it's basically it's just my source of comic relief at this point i think it's always funny yeah it's one of those that this is way pre game of thrones and so we weren't ready for that kind of thing and so these little subtle jokes throughout it especially on the rewatches um you know after you know all of the secrets um it is hilarious because the smug look on Luke's face when he looks at Han after Leia kisses him is just beautiful when you realize that that's his sister. And honestly, I'm not sure that that look would change after he learns that that's his sister. Okay. Fuck Luke. Okay, the, the Luke hate is... <laughs> I can't abide it. So... He's just so emo. So, like, I think one of my, just in reference to to your favorite here, Brett, um, in Return of the Jedi, that scene where uh, Han Solo is like, the, the Death Star has been blown up. They're all they're all in the process of celebrating and just taking it all in, and uh, Leia's just she's laying there, and uh, Han's like, you know, if you want to be with him, I get it. And Leia's like, no, it's not like that. He's my brother. And there's that there's that look on his face that's like, he's processing it. But I don't think it's as much surprise at it as it is just like just this this emotion of grotesque. Like, oh my god! But you made out with him like hard in front of me to spite me. Well, and then and then she follows it up with, I think I've always known. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, okay, it is a long time ago, and it is a galaxy far, far away. Far, far but away. But is it that far away? I don't know. Just below just below the Mason-Dixon line. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Um, so my number three is just uh, the, the new Disney movies that are in this uh, the Skywalker trilogy that they're doing to close it out. I think The Force Awakens is awesome. I think the last Jedi is awesome. I think both of them are way better than they needed to be agreed because they were new star Wars movies. Like they really could have just kind of crapped a couple movies out and moved moved on. And they still made a billion dollars every time. And I think that they're, you know, they're, they're 
funny and I think they're pretty well made and they're starting to really kind of expand some of the you know some of the canon some of the lore that we hadn't seen before and it just it, it just makes me happy that like Star Wars is a thing that's actually somewhat vital because especially after the prequels I just didn't I just didn't know you know like I was like ah. Yeah, we were all let down pretty hard from the prequels. Um, you know, being in that generation where we grew up on the original trilogy, we were so excited, and the hype that was behind the prequels to be let down in the manner that we were. Uh, you could have made a new trilogy, this you know seven, eight, nine, and we would have still paid money for it. But I think from a nostalgia factor, it, it wouldn't have kept up as well as it has you know it really has revitalized the franchise there's new excitement around it um you know there are all sorts of star wars everything coming out in every direction and people are eating it up and i think that is a a credit to this new trilogy actually being good all right well sean number three yeah, number three. Uh, so speaking of soundtracks, I know you guys did an episode of soundtracks and you left out the Star Wars soundtrack. Um, a little put off by that, but I'm not going to let it affect this conversation <laughs> at all. Um, so composer John Williams, he became a household name uh, at, you know, after his work with uh, George, Lu- George Lucas doing Star Wars in 1977. Um, you know, the songs from Star Wars, you know, inc- which includes, of course, the theme song, the Imperial March. That one's huge. Uh, you can hear that at any college football game. Uh, the Parade of Ewoks, you know, all of these remain some of the most recognizable songs globally today. Um, you know, and, and of course, who can forget? I can't believe I almost left this out. The disco version of the Star Wars theme song that came out back in 1977 and and I cannot stress this enough became the number one hit single in October of that year oh, shit. that's a fact the disco version of the Star Wars theme song hit the billboards number one that year if if you if you needed any more proof of the cultural impact that the, that these movies had um but but no, it's like like seriously the the, the Star Wars. Uh, it, I mean, it's just like I said, in another instance as to why these movies are solidified in their place in culture. Um, you know, I uh, having read the George Lucas biography because of course I did. Um, you know, when he discussed his movie with John Williams back before it was actually being made, he he told him he told jo- uh, John Williams that he didn't want a sci-fi sound to the movie. He wanted a World, World War II dogfight sound. And I mean, go back and watch the uh, the attack on the original Death Star. I mean, that's that's what it sounds like. I mean, just this this epic like uh, o- you know, almost Vietnam type of sound just like you know the the um, the rebels coming in on this evil empire and it's just this this glorious sound that that comes out um, and, and and just a little bit about me. This is how nerdy that I am. I can actually recite dialogue from the movies word for word based on the the music. That, that's a true story. That's a true story. Um, and I do it now because my son loves it. Uh, you know, not because I'm just this big unapologetic dweeb, um, but he, he like he he wants me to recite the 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 dialogue from the movies as we're listening to the the soundtrack on the way to daycare. So just. 
you're right though it, it connects with every scene it it elicits just as much emotion as the film does you know i mean you get goosebumps hearing some of those songs um absolutely you know namely the cantina theme but you know also this trilogy is what john what got john williams his home alone gig yes because that okay (laughs) (laughs) uh and that's what we needed yeah i think one of the one of the cool things that jump one of the cool choices john williams made when doing this was you know it's a sci-fi movie so like you you'd think they'd be like i'm bringing in a theremin or something you know wild sure instead he's like no we're going straight or i'm doing a straight orchestral score and that i think lends it lends some timelessness to it and like a little bit more heft like it seems like it matters more right there's a lot more Mm -hmm. credibility i think yeah and i mean and there's there's just so many like different pieces of music they're huge just like you know when the logo hits and it's just the bat and then you know then mm-hmm. you do the crawl and i mean and then like you know there's there's the what there's the force theme there's like there's so many different ones my favorite little bit of trivia about that though is uh, the fact that the imperial march does not appear until empire strikes back and that right yeah because it seems like it's been there from the get-go you know but it, it wasn't and it's just uh absolutely correct Floyd. good pick good pick Nice. So my number three uh, is a little more recent, something that we've all been excited about lately. It's actually made a another couple of our top five lists when we did the Disney Plus episode. But The Mandalorian is probably my third favorite thing about Star Wars right now. Um, it's really a good series. I mean, it is a strong series as it is. But it also helps us dive deeper into this universe. Um, Boba Fett, you know, is the prototypical Mandalorian that we all knew from the original trilogy. And somehow we all remember him as like this ultimate badass. No, he is Uh, a trash character. He is. (laughs) He is. Um, And I'm going to get on that in a little bit, but it's really interesting that you have this character that really had a bit part that ends up meeting an untimely demise um, blind Han Solo activated his jetpack which (laughs) you could activate his jetpack from the out what no he's trash but he looked really cool that helmet is so cool (laughs) yeah and and that that Mandalorian armor um carried such a weight with it this this idea that this bounty hunter was such a badass that they were able to build another tv series around it and they actually made this one a badass um it's a lot of fun to watch you get more in depth to the mandalorian um history and you know their culture a little bit also we get baby yoda which everybody is in love with right now and so there's nice little callbacks to the original trilogy. Um, speaking of the hairy butt faced species, but I, I just think it's great. It's a great way to introduce a deeper level of this universe um, in an episodic program. So it's dope, and I like it. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I have something sort of embarrassing to admit here. I haven't been able to watch it yet. I know, what? Brett. I know. I know. I'm sorry. It's ter- It's terrible. It's and, and I'm I'm I can't say that I'm missing a whole lot because all of the Baby Yoda memes, like they just pummeled in the face, like on an almost constant basis if you're on social media. So, so I I know that there's a Mandalorian and I know that there's a Baby Yoda, and aside from that, I don't know how much else I need to know about it at this time. Um, um uh, you know, like. I, I think one of the, the there's a few things about that show that I'm really enjoying. Um, it's one of the things I like is that it's very direct and there's no padding in any episodes. So like I think the longest was like 41 minutes or something, and then there's been one that was like 30, which is nice because I feel right. especially with the, all the streaming services, sometimes they're just like, hey, you don't have anything else to do. You want to watch an hour and a half long thing? You want to watch three and a half hours of The Irishman? Here it is, you know? And it's just like, guys, come on. Whereas this is very much, it's succinct and it gets to the point. And it's very obvious that they had a lot of money for the show. And there's been some really fun uh, guest stars that just kind of pop up. And you're like, oh, hey, Brian Posehn. Good to see (laughs) you. And... Like it's it's just a fun show. I I also like the fact that it's weekly, so I never feel like I'm <laughs> super far behind. It's, I I would agree. It's just it's a lot of fun, and you need to get caught up for it. You'll like it. I uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, now that I've got a little bit more time on my hands, yeah. Great. Moving on to my number two, uh, it is something that I've always appreciated about the Star Wars universe, especially growing up. Uh, and wanting to get my hands on all of the Star Wars material that I could, the expanded universe of Star Wars canon. Uh, that includes all of the video games, which we mentioned Rogue Squadron earlier, uh, and the books. You know, I feel like the books especially were what created Boba Fett into this ultimate badass. It wasn't the film. It was all of the Bounty Hunter series novels that told the story of Boba Fett prior to uh, the films. And those things, I feel like, helped build on this even when there weren't films coming out. And <clears throat> it was something that just kept the, the franchise moving. Also on this, when I was probably about 14, 15, um, when I wasn't trying to woo potential lovers... I was I was playing the Star Wars oh, role playing game which which was essentially Dungeons and Dragons but in the Star Wars universe and I felt like it was a great way to build on what that universe could be like you could select you and create your characters like in a, any Dungeons and Dragons or role playing game but then you could be like, okay, I want to be a Jedi. What kind of things can I use the Force to do to manipulate the game? Or I want to be a bounty hunter. What kind of race do I want to be? Do I want to be a Trandoshan? Do I want to be a Wookiee? Um, you know, and so it was this great way to continue to build on that universe and use your imagination uh, to think about what 
what possibilities there were in the franchise. So there's a lot. My of- question is, why did you not woo lovers by inviting them to play the game with you? Um, I failed the <laughs> initiative roll. Fucking wow. wow. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes uh, sense. I guess for me, I didn't have a lot of experience well. with the expanded with the expanded universe. Uh, I did. I read some comics and you know like played played some video games because and those were obviously that but there got to be so many books and there was just so much it was honestly intimidating like it was like where the hell do i even start like and i thought it was super interesting sure. when disney wiped it like i get what I, I think i get why they did uh they you know they just paid like four billion dollars for it and wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted but um it was interesting because like you know I'd look into it and then I'm like, Luke Skywalker, right? Fucks what? And you know, and like, okay, <laughs> and you know, it was interesting to see yeah. that, that the story did continue. But um, it's like them calling it what it's Legends canon now. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it, it was just not something I ever could get into as much. So, my number two um, is an entire movie that I could probably spend as much time talking about as the movie goes on for. Uh, Rogue One. I loved everything about this movie. Um, I mean, just the story itself was phenomenal. Um, It was funny, suspenseful, it was sad at times, um, but it was entertaining all throughout. The character portrayal was great. Um, I personally loved uh, the droid K2SO, K2. So he provided, he he was able to provide that comic relief that I think movies like this need without being cheesy or obnoxious. Like, say, I don't know, off the top of my head, 3PO or God fucking forbid, Jar Jar Binks. Um, People loved K2 so much that Disney actually tried replicating his his persona with... um, L337 in the solo movie, which just didn't work. Um, oh, you have the uh, the Darth Vader scene um, right in the middle there, and you think, oh, that's nice. They gave Darth Vader a cameo in this, and then he shows up again at the end and reminds everyone why we all love and fear him. Um, I mean, the the movie closed a plot hole that's <laughs> that some people had thought you know plagued the series um, since A New Hope came out you know, years ago. Um, it's like, okay, so they, they have the plans for the Death Star, but also there's this inherent weakness in the design of it, so that there's a hole in the side where if you shoot a rocket in it, the whole, the whole thing blows up, and okay, real smart, guys. So they dedicate an entire movie explaining to why that, that defect is there, and I just thought, you know, that's way to address the plot hole to, to spend an entire movie like, explaining why it's there in such an emotional fashion. Um, and I, I mean, the fact that anybody would comment on a plot hole in a sci-fi movie is kind of stupid anyway, but they went ahead and covered it in such an artistic and financially su- successful way. Kudos to you, Disney. Um, you know, and, and lastly, I'll, again, I, I loved all of it, but I, I, I want to mention this. Um, everybody died. Everybody died. Like, so, so another thing about George Lucas, he hated the idea of having to kill off characters to progress a plot. Um, 
which is one of the reasons why he never killed off Han Solo, even though Harrison Ford begged for him to be killed off. Um, so to have an entire Star Wars movie where you you know you get to know these characters and it's gritty and it's dark, and then to go ahead and and, and kill off all of the main characters, I think adds to the legitimacy of the story um, and it being a part of the Star Wars canon. Um, Rogue One. You know, could have been called the real Suicide Squad because I mean that's essentially what it was. In the end, everyone died, and in the final sequence of the movie, I mean it just it seamlessly, uh, beautifully transitions into the beginning scene of the original movie. I mean it was just it was beautiful. I mean as as a as a lifelong Star Wars fan to have seen that that final scene where, you know, um, uh, Princess Leia turns around and she, she holds the, the Death Star plans in her hand and she says, it's hope. Like, that's, a, that's amazing, man. I just I lost my shit at the end there. It was great. I loved everything about that movie. That, that movie, the, the look and the feel of that movie is what the prequels should have been. There's a lot of things the prequels should have been. <laughs> you know, well-written, well-acted. <laughs> sure. Right. What's cool about it is it, you're right, Sean. It's all those things that you said, but it could have been just a heist movie. Yeah. Like they could have just made a, a heist movie in the Star Wars universe and it would have been fine. You know, like we'd have been happy, like, okay, they closed up that hole. Um, and you're right. If anybody's going to complain about plot holes, it's going to be science fiction fans. But, <clears throat> you know, it could have just basically been a half-assed Star Wars Ocean Eleven, but they made it so much more, and it it was great. Well, I'm not gonna lie to you guys; I I did not love this movie, especially on my first viewing. Uh, I kind of just it kind of just it, it bounced off me. Like I just I didn't I was like whatever, and I hadn't seen it again, and what you know, and then I I've been super super hyped for Rise of Skywalker, and I was like, okay. I'm going to watch all of them. So I started at episode one, which was a mistake. And then I, and I followed it with episode <laughs> two, which was an even bigger mistake. But then, you know, it, as you progress, and so you get through uh, Sith and then Solo, which I really didn't like Solo. And I'm not going to lie, I watched it again, and Solo's fun. It's not great, but it, it was a lot more fun than I remembered. And then I got to Rogue One, and I still, I, I would say I still don't love it, but I liked it a lot more the second time around. Uh, there, there was just a lot more little things I picked up that I did appreciate. Um, I love the dude that dresses in white, Krennic. I think he's so spectacularly bad at his job, and it mm -hmm. create, it's just so funny after yes. a while. Like, <laughs> how many times can you fail? Well, probably once more. And like that was cracking me up k2 is is great but like i just i like most droids in star wars i think they're hilarious I, um he reminded me of uh hk47 from the knights of the Old republic games game uh that that dude he wanted to murder everyone which k2 doesn't want to murder everyone but um i i, I appreciate k2 and then you know that's the end of that movie is probably the only time we ever actually see vader fully off the leash in anything like you know straight up full power off the leash and like not yeah. uh a seven foot tall guy having to fight mark hamill so like you've got to slow it down a little bit like you could tell that they were like these these are all stuntmen and we are just gonna roll and that was dope but like 
it's an interesting thing because it's the only Star Wars movie that's an actual war movie, especially by the end of it, you know? Um, I, I appreciate it a lot more, especially since I watched it again. Like, Sure. And I, I, it's one of those things where mm-hmm. I'm not even sure. Maybe it was just the day I saw it and it just bounced off me or whatever. But, like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I love it, but I do like it. And I like it for what it is, which is, like you said, the seamless thing that plugs in and makes other things make sense, which is what you want a prequel or something to do, which is what the prequels did not do. I don't like the prequels, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I got that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, and, and you know, for me, for me personally, part of it was that I, I went and saw this movie in theaters like literally two days after Carrie Fisher died. Mm. So that final scene, that hit hard. But I, I, I thought, I mean, honestly, like the whole movie throughout, the, the one thing that, again, personal note, I don't like wasted scenes. Sure. I, I feel like, you know, if if it's a bad movie, there's a lot of wasted scenes. There were a lot of wasted scenes in the prequel movies that just, I mean, there, were, there was no point to them. Um, and with Rogue One, there were literally zero, zero wasted scenes in that movie. And again, beautifully done. Um, it was hard. It was gritty. I mean, I there's I, I can't say enough about this movie. I, I thought it it did nothing. It did nothing but add to the to the legitimacy of the of the entire story, the entire story. All right. Well, that was a nice and serious pick. Um, my number two is from The Force Awakens, and it's just this little throwaway thing. It's the first time you see C-3PO, and he's uh, meeting meeting the crew, and he's just like, hey, it's me, C-3PO. You might not recognize me because of my red arm. And that is the funniest fucking thing that's been in any Star Wars movie ever. <laughs> ever. It is so dumb and like <laughs> what and it's also perfectly a character for 3PO because he is that oblivious. Oh god. I... I like in the theater I died and like a couple <laughs> people laughed but like I'm just like losing my shit like I it's still the funniest <laughs> thing ever well and the thing that was the I mean you're right it is exactly the funniest thing that has happened in, in this series yeah but he never went on to explain why it was that way so there was no explanation. It was completely random. I mean, it's it's something that could have as easily happened in like Arrested Development. Like just suddenly he has a different arm, and there's zero explanation as to why. Yeah, and like how did you lose that arm, three PO? Well, and like it's so funny because the other characters don't give a shit at all. Like he's like <laughs> no. they're like you might want. You could tell he wants to tell the story. They're just like mm, you know keeping it moving. It's almost like they were worried that. 3PO was not British enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we're we're up to the number ones, and uh, we've got a shared we got a shared number one going on here. Drake and I both um, we love Floyd's number four lightsabers. Uh, You know, there's not much more, at least for me, to say about it that we. You know, it's a it's a laser sword that can cut through anything, makes awesome sounds, and you can pick really cool colors. Like, I don't, like, what else is there? Yeah, that was one of the things that was cool for me when the the first film, when A New, a New Hope came out, you had a blue lightsaber and you had a red lightsaber. And you just kind of understood that good guys get the blue sword, red guys get the 
bad guys get the red sword and that's the way it is and then return of the jedi comes out and you're like holy shit is that a green lightsaber like i didn't know that was possible um and so then it opened up everybody's imaginations to like what else can be done with these and we see it some in the the novels you know they play with it a little bit but everybody's first real experience with it was obviously episode one uh darth maul and his double lightsaber you know i remember watching the trailers and you see one side of it come out and you're like okay he's a a sith lord he's got a red lightsaber but then you see the back end of it open up and you see the the second of the double heads and everybody's mind was blown um we move forward and we see mace windu with his purple white lightsaber which why wouldn't he have a purple lightsaber he made it he made him make it for him special of course he of course he to find himself yeah um (laughs) like 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 literally like that's so good there's never been a purple lightsaber and he just yeah i want to be able to find myself when we're fighting can i have a purple one and george's like okay you know because it's george lucas he's not gonna tell samuel jackson fucking anything right well it 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 goes along with mace windu's wallet which just says bad motherfucker on it yeah the other right uh... (laughs) but yeah it's it's great the the one thing i really did uh the one thing i do appreciate about the prequels is they really introduced some different styles of lightsaber uh fighting like it's it's a lot more balletic and like uh stylized and like it really fits with the whole tone of the of the prequels like it's you know it's not as raw it's not a, you know when you're watching like like the like the um, it, the duel between Vader and Luke and Empire it is not a pretty duel by any stretch they're but like it's no. amazing because they're like they, they are trying to kill each other and like there's so much going on and like you know they're not going for style points and I kind of feel like that's just a reflection of each of the trilogies like you know like the original trilogy I mean, there's style galore, but you know, it's lived in and it's, you, you know, it's trying to get somewhere. Whereas the prequels, it's all a little fake. Right. And even, and like, even those, mm-hmm. even those styles, but yeah. like, I appreciate that about it. So, and we are going to close with the wildest pick on this list. I'm so excited. Sean, you're number one. Jabba's palace. What the fuck? I want to talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Jabba's Palace. Um, okay, guys, do me a favor. Close your eyes. Now imagine it's 1983, right? You're sitting in the movie theater. You've got your tickets. You've got your popcorn. You're about ready to watch the last installment of the Star Wars trilogy, as far as you know. The movie opens. You get the scrolling text, comes down, and then you get the droids walking through the desert. Everything that happens after R2 and 3PO go through the doors at Jabba's Palace is so bizarre and intense. Uh, You have a, there's a droid torture chamber. Um, You have alien strippers. There's a monster locked up in the basement. Uh, Han Solo gets unfrozen and then immediately captured. Uh, You have Jabba's sex cruise, which is fun, probably. Luke. Luke shows up and kills people by the boatload, literally. Um, force chokes people. Yeah. What the? F- what? Yeah, yeah. It force chokes the the pig the pig people, whatever they're called. We, I mean, and, and so like like 
if you're like me, you've become so desensitized to like the, those scenes because we've seen it a hundred times over you know, you know the course of decades. But if you were to go back and witness it for the first time today, brand new, you'd be like, what the fuck just happened? Um, there's, there's a hole in the ground that eats people. Like, that's insane. Oh, and burps, too. Burps after he, yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, I just, I, I feel like we don't have this appreciation for it yeah. because it's, you know, like, like I said, it's not novel or new to us anymore. But, oh, my God, what a start to that movie. To have seen that for the first time when it came out, like, it, that would have been so intense. Like, it's as, in, it's as intense and captivating as I would say that final space battle is without it having to be a battle in space. Like, it's just insane. The whole thing is. And then, you know, and it just the movie completely slows down with Luke going back to Dagobah to witness his friend dying. But, I mean, just that first scene, it's just so encapsulated in this perfect little ball of weird, raw space. It's insane. Like, it's, it, it is, it is, you know, we all, we all have that, like, that favorite movie that it doesn't matter what's going on, we will stop to watch it if it's on TV. That is my scene, Jabba's Palace, because it's so, I mean, it is, it is like what I imagine Gronk's uh, like sex boat. That's what that is. It's just Jabba's Palace. I want HBO to pick up a Jabba's Palace series. Not Disney, I want HBO to pick up that series. <laughs> Disney couldn't do it. No. HBO would. Yeah. Well, and that was also the first glimpse we got of Jabba. Yeah. yeah. And like, what the hell? What? Again, like the alien thing that we talked about a little bit earlier. Like, that's not an alien that's in Star Trek. That's in Star Wars. I mean, like this big, fat, weird dude that like makes girls wear bikinis and chains them up to him. Right. And and feeds them to a rancor every once in a while. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But how does that? How does a weird gelatinous alien become a gang lord anyway? Like, like I have more questions than I have answers to when it comes to Jabba's spells. Well, oh yeah, oh my god. Well, oh. and on that note, <laughs> um, that is the top fives we have for that. Um, obviously, they are the best top fives, and nobody else's matter. Um, again, if you like it, let us know. If you don't. Don't tell us. We don't need to know that. Uh, special thanks to Sean Navarrete for joining us. It's been awesome. And you can find us on wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. For me and that guy over there, Drake, we'll talk to you later. Take care, guys. <laughs>